0: Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that we are kind of in a value series throughout this year. At moments, we're coming in and out of talking about different values and And the first value that we have here at New Hope is that we do value reading Scripture, which means we consistently turn to the Bible as our ultimate guide for life and truth. And that's demonstrated in various ways. It's demonstrated as we just did as we memorize passages of Scripture together and just take a moment just to talk about them and study them uh, together. The second value is relentless prayer. We want to come and begin and end everything with prayer and that we never miss opportunities to pray for someone if we can. And so one of the things that we do is we start service with prayer and scripture and we end with reading scripture and speaking a prayer or a blessing over the church, which is called the benediction Um, But one of the things we did back before COVID that we haven't done that we're starting back based off this value is uh, we will do pre-service prayer from 3.30 to 3.45 starting back in two weeks. This coming Sunday, we will not have our worship gathering because we'll be at fall retreat, but the following Sunday, we'll start back. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you'd be willing to come early, hang out from 3.30 to 3.45. We spend some time praying in this room together, preparing our hearts, and then fellowshipping for about 15 minutes, and then we'll start our worship gathering. Value number three is radical hospitality, where we want to let you know, because there are our guests in here, whether you come into this room, whether you meet us on the street, whether you come to our home, we want you to know that you're welcome, that you're loved and radical hospitality. And so I hope and pray that uh, you feel that way. If you, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jonathan. I serve as one of the pastors here and what we would love and I would love to meet you uh, also. The fourth value, which is the value we're preaching through right now, is relational discipleship. We define it this way. At New Hope, we intentionally invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus. We recognize that the the Christian life and following Jesus is not easy, and it was not intended to be done alone. Not only was the Christian life not intended to be lived alone, but life in general was not intended to be lived alone alone. We talked about two weeks ago how God had created us for relationships and that we deny our humanity when we avoid those relationships that God has created us for. He created us like himself, which is a perfect unity in a trinity. He's created us also for relationships. And then last week we talked about specifically the importance of living relationships and discipleships in a community of other believers And the importance that the fact that we are family, it affects how we care and love for one another. And then this week, we're going to look at the demonstration of this value of what it means to be mentored by someone. And to mentor someone else. We believe that in discipleship, there's always should be, in every season in your life, there should be someone or more than one person who is intentionally investing in your life to see you grow in your walk with Jesus. Remember, the definition is we intentionally invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus. So in every season of a life, we're saying there should be someone who's intentionally investing their time and energy to help you follow Jesus... And second, in every season of life, you should be intentionally investing your time and energy to help someone else follow Jesus. The main point of today's sermon that will, that will be the focus is simply this, is the challenge that for you and each and every one of us, but you to live a life of eternal significance. Live a life of eternal significance. I want to begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, although we'll begin to slow down when we get around verses 7 and 8. But go ahead in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Alright, time out. I told you I'd slow down in about six verses, but sometimes I lie to you unintentionally. So we're stopping here for a second. Understand the context. Paul is writing to a church that he planted, a church that he pastored, a church of people that he discipled. And he's saying, I know that my life is coming to you, or my coming to you, meaning the moment I came and, and told you about Jesus and discipled you, was not wasted. Why? But though, verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So he's describing the time when he came to them. Verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel... So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. So he's still just talking and describing about when he came to them, he did not come with impure motives, but he came with a pure heart to faithfully preach to them the good news of the gospel. Verse 5, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He's simply just walking through and explaining to them the context in which he came to them the first time when he preached the gospel to them and his heart motives. Now, we're going to read some more of this, but I want to skip ahead all the way to chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 3.8, kind of concluding all that he said from what we just read and everything in between, he says this, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. The the, uh, uh, NIV version says it this way, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. I want to talk about verse 8 for a second. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. Is Paul talking about literal life? Is Paul saying, that for, for now we live, and we being Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the authors of this, he's, saying, he's not saying that we have physical life because you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's physical life is not contingent on someone else's walk with Christ. So he's not talking literal, like my physical life. But what he's saying is, for now we live, he's saying this. For now my life matters. He's speaking to purpose. He's speaking to meaning. He says, my life matters. My life has meaning. Why? Because you are standing fast in the Lord, standing firm in the Lord. I want to ask you this question by way of introduction. I want you to fill in the blank. My life Really matters if or because what? What is the answer that we would give to that question? My life has meaning and my life has purpose and my life really counts. For Paul here, we could say it this way For now, I live because this is happening. What is it that we would fill in the blank? See, Paul would would simply fill in the blank by saying, because you are standing firm in the Lord. Here's what we want to look at today as we talk about relational discipleship. And for me, discipleship is an important value because, specifically because of this passage, because Paul is saying his life has meaning because of the fact that the people he discipled, the people that he pastored are standing firm in Jesus, his meaning in life and his purpose in life and what makes encouragement to him that say that, hey, my life has mattered for something had nothing to do with business. It had nothing to do with his physical achievements and accomplishments in and of himself. But he makes this statement to the church in Thessalonica. My life matters because you know Jesus and you are standing firm in Jesus. When he comes back to chapter 2, he's describing how he came to them and now the reality that they are standing firm. But when we look at live a life of eternal significance, which is our main point, as it relates to relational discipleship, we begin to pick that up in verse 7 when he says this, "'But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children.'" If there was a, a a a second practical truth about discipleship, I want you to hear from this text. It's simply this: is that discipleship is spiritual parenting. This is how because here's here's the question you and I need to be asking. Paul begins chapter two with going, hey, I came to you faithfully. I came amidst persecution. I came and faithfully preached the gospel, not in selfish motive, but in pure heart. God is my witness. And then he concludes with saying, and praise be to God, you are standing firm in the Lord and my life has meaning. I'm asking the question, okay, what exactly did he do practically to bring about a result of them standing firm in the Lord? Because I don't know about you, but I don't pastor a church or disciple others because I'm hoping that they don't stand firm in the Lord. I pastor a church and I disciple others because I want them to stand firm in the Lord. And so it leads me to ask the question, well, what exactly did he do? That, what was the way he went about discipleship in order to bring about that result? And discipleship, how did he help them follow Jesus to bring about a result where he could say, you are standing firm in the Lord, therefore my life has matter. And he begins with saying it in verse 7. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. He goes on to say this in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. We're going to see this as we continue to unpack, but I want to tell you how did Paul approach discipleship, and I would argue it's two things. He lived life with those he discipled, and he poured out doctrinal truths into those he discipled. I like to say it this way. He lived life, and he spoke truth. Look at verse 8. He said, So being affectionately desirous of you, because of his love for you, because of his love for them, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, doctrinal truths, speaking truth, We were ready to not only share that with you, but also our entire lives, our own selves. We were ready to give over to you like a gentle mother nursing and taking care of her own children. Hence, discipleship is like spiritual parenting. We'll begin to draw some of these illustrations more and more. But when we begin to think about parenting as it relates to discipleship, because a lot of times, We think of discipleship rightfully so as we're studying God's word and we're speaking truth over people and we're letting them know and pouring out gospel truth into people. But if we simply stop there, we miss one of the most vital things about discipleship that Paul is bringing into the conversation, and it's this idea of relationship. We call it relational discipleship within our church because we don't want you just to think about discipleship as a study of God's word or when I say being mentored by someone and mentoring someone else, that's not just a picture of, hey, let me teach you something I studied in God's word and I want you to know it. Although, listen to me, I am one who understands the importance of knowing God's word. And if we know God's word, then we can hide his word in our hearts so we might not sin against him and that we can continue to be transformed by that word. But he talks about not only sharing with them gospel truths, but being like a gentle mother among them, caring for them. He says this in verse 9. He begins to describe that more. And he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day so that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul's discipleship, as he describes it to them, was not just in what he said, but how he lived among them. And he can't claim, you. He, numerous times he says this, for you remember, for you remember how we acted, for you remember that we did this, for you remember this. Why? When Paul is calling them to faithfulness, he's saying, you saw the example in me first. So when we talk about relational discipleship and discipleship as spiritual parenting, we understand in parenting, it's not as simple as, hey, let me teach you to be a good child. Let me have a lesson. I don't know about you, but we don't have a six o'clock every night parent to child lesson, life lessons. These are the things you need to know. And this is how you learn to grow up and be a good kid because from 6 to 630, I teach you everything you need to know. Now, oftentimes we teach them on the fly. Oftentimes, there's this moment where Levi knocks his brother across the face, and I go, hey, bud, we can't do that, right? There's this moment where life happens, and because I'm living life with them, because we're there in their lives, we have these opportunities to speak God's Word into them. And when we think about relational discipleship, there are moments that if we are living life with those that God is calling us to invest our time and energy into so that they can follow Jesus, as we live life with them, there's opportunities To point to them the truth of God's word. There's opportunities for us to model to them the truth of God's word. To care for them. Paul uses the illustration of a gentle mother. But he goes on and he continues to say this in verse 10. But you are witnesses. And God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. For you know like a father with his children... We exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own glory. I remember studying this passage of scripture years ago, and oftentimes when Paul writes a letter, for example, let's, let's take um, 1 Corinthians. You read 1 Corinthians and you go, man, that church had some problems, Right, Paul's constantly writing to them, trying to correct different things. And in a lot of time in Paul's letters, he's writing to rebuke them because they needed it, because we all need it. But I, I was captivated in studying 1 Thessalonians and how Paul was, was, wasn't rebuking them as, in his letter as much as he was celebrating their faithfulness. He was celebrating that even as, if we go and study um, what happens to the church in Acts chapter 17, when Paul goes to them, if we go study Acts 17, we see that Paul came to them amidst great persecution, that they themselves were greatly persecuted, but yet even when they were greatly persecuted, they are standing firm in the Lord, and I'm captivated by that, and it led me, and it's leading us in the sermon to ask the question, how did Paul do it? What did Paul do? And how did he live among them so that they were faithful even amidst great persecution and harm to them? And then we come to the passage that we're reading and Paul just simply says, hey, I was like a a mother. I was like a father to you. Up until this point, when the Lord really revealed to me what I'm trying to share tonight, I used to think discipleship was just a Bible study. If I went to... A church and I grew up in a church that had a few thousand people and I'm only telling you that to say you could easily go to church and hide in the crowd you could go to church and no one knew was there And so I would go and I would listen and and I would listen to the sermon by the pastor and it was good Bible teaching and I'm grateful for that. And then I would leave and I would go to another Bible study and then later that week I would go to another Bible study with all these different people and basically the whole focus of everything I was doing was about how can I study God's word, but truth was I wasn't living life and opening up my life to anybody that I was doing these Bible studies with. And I was studying God's word and I just thought discipleship was about, hey, how much information can we teach? Let's learn uh, catechisms. Let's learn all these different things which I, I enjoy. I'm, I enjoy the catechisms. I enjoy those things and so I'm not, saying, uh, I'm not saying negative things about them. I'm just saying there came a moment when I recognized that Paul was, yes, saying, I shared with you the gospel. No doubt about that. But I gave my life to you. I gave my life to you. Now, if we go and do the best we can and map out Acts to ask the question, how long did Paul live life with them? Well, Acts 17 tells us that he spent three uh, Sabbath days in the synagogue before he was persecuted to the point where he couldn't go back to the synagogue. Now, it doesn't say if he left immediately Thessalonica at that time or not, but based off the timeline, we could say that Paul was in Thessalonica for at least three weeks potentially up to six months. So somewhere between three weeks and six months, which is not an extremely long period of time, either way you look at it. But in that period, he lived with them in such an intentional and real way that he could write to them later to say, I'm so proud that you are standing firm in Jesus. So proud that you are standing firm in Jesus. My life matters because you are standing firm in Jesus. When we think about discipleship as spiritual parenting, how does that lead us to the value demonstration of being mentored by someone and mentoring someone else? Let me think about, let me explain it this way. I have a lot of goals as a parent. I do for my kids. I have a lot of goals for my kids. But I would safely be able to say um, that all of us probably have at least two goals that are probably true for every parent for their kids. Goal number one is I want my child to one day grow up and be self-sustaining, right? I, I want that. I, I want my child to be able to one day, all my children, to be able to support themselves. Not that I wouldn't love to pour out blessings on them, but you know, I, I want them to become self-sustaining. I want them to grow up to the point where they no longer have to have me in their lives for sustaining reason of life, right? I always wanna be in their lives, but you get the idea. I want them to grow up and I want them... To, to eventually find their own place and be self-sustaining, right? That, that speaks to maturity. I want that. But second, I want grandkids. I don't know about you, but I want I want grandkids, right? So, so I want my kids to get married and to have kids. Like, I want that to happen. When we begin to think about the, the illustration of spiritual parenting, discipleship as spiritual parenting, the same is true for us in discipleship. When I am Intentionally investing my time and energy into someone's life so that they follow Jesus, I want them to get to the point where they no longer have to have me in their life to stand firm in the Lord. And I think this is what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, Hey man, my life mattered because although I'm no longer in your life on a daily basis, you are still standing firm in the Lord. Therefore, the job has been successfully completed. I want there to come a moment where everybody that I'm investing in can stand firm in the Lord. Now, that's not to say that I'm no longer a part of their lives. When I begin to think about the men that have impacted my life the most, there's a few of them, but I think of one in particular who taught me the most, I think, about the idea of discipleship and how he lived life with me and invested in me. His name is uh, David Smith, and and David Smith, he was one of my pastors in Memphis, And then I went to Mississippi, then he went to Orlando, and then I came to New York, and then he went back to Memphis. The point is, for the last 12 years, we haven't lived in the same city. But he intentionally discipled me and discipled me and discipled me. But there came a point where he kept pounding on me. Jonathan, you need to be able to continue to walk with the Lord and grow firm with the Lord without me meeting with you every week to encourage you on But I learned something that, praise be to God, I think that day has come. I think there's, not to say that that I don't need people still investing in my life, absolutely, but I don't need to sit with him every single week to continue just to grow in the Lord. I've learned to build those disciplines, but there are many moments where I just have to give him a call because I don't know what to do. We have these moments even with our own parents, physical parents, I remember at when uh, my wife and I became parents, there were plenty of times where I called my mom, and I still call my mom all the time. And I would call my mom, and I would go, Mom, what do we do? Or like, what do we do? Like, the baby just won't stop crying. Like, I just don't know what to do. You always have the ability to, to whisper, and they would stop crying. You're the baby whisperer. What do I do? And, and I had all these moments where, um, you know, uh, trauma would happen, and I would call my mom. Before 911, like, blood's coming down the face. What do I do? Well, hang up and call 911. Okay, right, or whatever. I don't know. But there's moments where I would call my mom. Why? I no longer needed my mother to sustain my life. But there are often times where I reach out to her because I encounter moments I don't know what to do. Well, the same is true in discipleship. Just because I say our goal is to see one, someone grow to maturity that they no longer need us every day in their life. That's not to mean there are moments where I need to call David Smith and I go, man, what do I do in this situation? And so I'm not to say that we never disconnect relationship, but when we say discipleship and spiritual parenting, we want to see our children grow up to where they're sustaining, and then we want to see them lead other people to Christ, tell them about the good news of Jesus, and disciple them to grow in the Lord. This is what we long for. And so I want to begin to wrap things up and close by explaining and saying this when we begin to think about relational discipleship at our church, I want us to think of it, we'll say it this way, because I'll say it this way, is that relational discipleship is living life and speaking truth. And it comes directly from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, speak truth, but we were also our own selves live life because you had become very dear to us. When we talk about discipleship, we intentionally qualify it with the word relational, relational discipleship for this reason, because we want it to be clear here in our church that we think, and we think it's important that you come, and we think it's important that you study God's word, but we also think it's important that you do that not by yourself, that you do it with others, because I don't know about you. But the moments that I've grown most in my faith was because there was a brother or sister in my life that spoke the truth of God into my life in a way that oftentimes was hard to hear, but I needed to hear. And I, there have been many moments where there have been hard conversations, where I've had to have hard conversations, or specifically where people have had to have hard conversations with me. And I can't help, even though as difficult as those moments are, I go, thank you. Because whether you realize it or not, I need this because I want to grow faithful in the Lord. And I need you in my life to speak that truth into my life. And so when we last week say we're a family, and because we're a family, it affects how we treat one another. Part of that is, is that we are not living alone and that we care for one another. And we, as we looked at and studied all the one another's in scripture last week, one of those is you rebuke one another. That you exhort one another. And so there are moments where we, as we grow faithful in Christ, out of love for one another. Now, this doesn't work very well if you're doing it not out of love. Paul does start this by saying, so being affectionately desirous of you. He said, it's because I love you. I give you my life and I speak the truth of the gospel into your life. It's not in condemnation. It's in love. And when we talk about discipleship at New Hope, I want us to know what we mean by that. We're not just talking about a Bible study. I'm not minimizing Bible study. This is God's word. Remember, value number one, reading scripture. It is our ultimate guide for life and truth. We're not minimizing this. We have a high view of the doctrine of scripture. We believe what scripture says when it says that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Like we believe that. So I'm not minimizing any Bible study, but what I'm simply saying is that Bible study, speak truth with living life is the discipleship we're talking about. And then let me close with this. First Thessalonians chapter two, I want you to go to the end of the chapter because this is a really big deal. Remember, the main point of today's sermon is live a life of eternal significance. You're like, we haven't even really talked about eternal significance. So I don't understand how these connect with discipleship. I'm showing you right now. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse, let's just pick up in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And look at verse 19. For what is our hope? or our joy, or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. I want you just to catch this. Paul is saying to them, I want to come to you so much, and I want to come to you so bad, and I want to see you face to face again. Why? Because you are our hope and hope and joy for when we stand before the Lord one day. Now, we've got to understand something. We believe, Scripture teaches, that God is going, that Jesus is going to return, that he is going to take us home, and we are going to spend eternity with him, that we will stand face-to-face before him one day in judgment, saved by grace or under his judgment and his wrath because of our sin that we rightfully deserve that, but in Jesus we have life, But there's this moment where we're going to stand before him. And and I don't know about you, but I don't have anything to boast in. Why do I have nothing to boast in? Because I didn't do anything to deserve to be there. Jesus saved me. All my boasting is in him. But it's interesting that Paul says something here. He says what? For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Let me quickly just address the theological idea here. The theological idea is absolutely Paul can boast in what Christ has done through his life. So at the end of the day, he's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in Jesus. Let's get that straight. But that's not the point. The point of the illustration is Paul's trying to say how proud of them he is. And he says, goes on in chapter 3, verse 8, my life matters so much so, you go back to the end of chapter two, that I will boast about you before Jesus one day. Imagine the moment. Imagine the moment, and just picture with me. Imagine we stand before Jesus one day in a big stadium. I don't know. Every Christian's in the stadium, okay? And every Christian sitting down, watching the moment where Paul stands before Jesus. I don't, there, this isn't biblical. I'm not, there's nowhere the word stadium, I don't know, is used in this reference in Scripture. But just go with me for the illustration. And imagine this moment, Paul is standing before Jesus, and he says, hey Jesus, I want to boast in what you did through my life. And he turns and he says, hey, I want everybody to stand up that is in here because of the life that I lived. Well, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, so that's me, I'd stand up in the moment that because of Paul's faithfulness 2,000 years ago, because of his scripture writing of scriptures filled with the Holy Spirit, because of his faithfulness in the churches, and the churches continue to share the gospel, because of all that faithfulness, at the end of the day, I heard the gospel as a Gentile, largely because of somewhat of Paul's life. So imagine all these people begin to stand. And there's a picture of a legacy that matters for eternal significance right there in that moment. I firmly believe that this is the picture that Paul is giving here. He's saying, my life matters because Jesus lived through my life and I was faithful to him and I preached the gospel and I lived my life with you to the point that you are now standing firm in the Lord and I can boast in that one day. I want you to see it's in the context of faithfulness and discipleship that he says, my life matters and has an eternal significance. You want your life to matter for eternity? Follow the example that is here in this passage. You want your life to matter as for eternal significance? Give your life to investing it so that other people can know and follow Jesus. It's that simple. Okay, how do I do that? You live life with people and you speak the truth of God's word into people. It's really not that difficult to comprehend, but better believe it. It's hard to live out because we'll be tempted to find our significance in other things in this world, to give our time to other things in this world. And I wanna call us back to a church. When we say we value relational discipleship, what we're saying is if we give our life to invest into others so that they can follow Jesus, we know our life is mattering beyond our life. And I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life that lives beyond my life in significance. And that's done, in my opinion, based off this passage, through investing your time into, and energy into others so that they may follow Jesus. And so I close by simply saying, let us be a church that values relational discipleship and we give and invest our time and energy into others so that they may follow Jesus so that our life may have eternal significance for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we, we love you. And Jesus, we do what we do because of what you have done for us. We worship you because of the grace that you have poured out upon us. And Jesus, I recognize and I say clearly, first and foremost, I have nothing to boast in except for you and what you do through my life for your glory. And so I unashamedly will be able to stand before you and go, thank you. For what you did in my life and through my life for your glory. Not my glory, Jesus, but for your glory. And So church family, let us be all about the glory of Jesus because he deserves our praise and our worship. And let us practically live a life of relational discipleship where we invest our time and energy into others to help them follow Jesus. And we do that through living life with them and speaking the truth of God's word into them. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.